0: And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of Making It Rain here on the Hockey Royalty Podcast Network. Uh, a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're a, a bunch of networks in here. Uh, today we have a very special guest, Sean O'Brien of Statch Track and Calder Farmstead Podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well. appreciate you guys having me on. It's always good to you know go on somebody else's podcast where you can, <laughs> can talk. Well,
1: appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. And I love the jersey, by the way. I love the jersey. Yeah.
0: <laughs> then obviously my my esteemed co-host uh, Joe Paterina. how you doing, Joe?
1: Very good, Randon. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Obviously, I, I'm crisp, chris today. I'm not. I'm not uh, streaming from Siberia, <laughs> and uh, you know we're doing good here and, and everything like that. Excited to have Sean on, just because you know I'm a little bit of a stat head, especially with with baseball, and you know, and sometimes in hockey, you know, being a newer fan of the sport, you know, less than two decades, sometimes all this. All this kind of stuff, just like man, just put the puck in the net. I don't really care how it gets done. But sometimes the the stats help with that kind of stuff, you know. And the arguments, whether they are alcohol induced or not, uh, you you want to have some of the, the the advanced analytics at your disposal. So let's let's get going, Sean. Why don't you start with you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with you know hockey and, and then stat StatTrak and, and Calder?
2: All right. So uh, big picture, um, I started looking into analytics like a lot later than analytics became available i was a hockey fan since basically birth i was on skates since i was like two and a half years old in a little backyard rink uh surprisingly was a big mighty ducks fan at that point but you know given the marketing and me being like three i think i can get a pass on that on this podcast <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let us uh came into analytics late and ended up basically uh Running into it from what I did in school, Uh, I was a scientist in a past life. Uh, I did scientific research and doing a lot of the stats through that kind of ended up with me following a little bit more of the advanced stats in hockey. And this is like when Corsi and Fenwick were still pretty new concepts. Um, There wasn't anything like expected goals or anything like that. Uh, and then it just kind of became something where uh, I learned more about it. And it came up to me a little naturally doing a lot of stats work outside of sports on my own, kind of understanding the concepts came pretty easily to me. Um, I ended up working with StatsTrack track <laughs> through an Instagram comment. Uh, I found them randomly on Instagram that they were looking for uh, people to track games and provide real time insights to coaches. And I, like they were looking for people in Canada and I'm like, I'm in the U S wish I could help. Cause that sounds fun. And like, they sent me a message and you know, uh, a couple months later I was tracking games for, you know, uh, Canadian college coaches while I was living in Georgia. So it was a, a wild experience uh, there. Not, um, not,
0: not too long of a commute
2: for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully that was, you know, before uh, doing stuff over video conference was just part of the everyday goings on of life. Uh, but, uh, ended up working, uh, on AHL. I started with the SPHL and ECHL kind of doing uh, a little bit of the, the work I do with point shares now. And then it just kind of evolved and grew. Uh, and mostly it started with the SPHL cause I lived in Georgia where there was an SPHL team right there. Um, I did some video work, uh, for them a little bit, uh, and then kind of got into the analytics and tried to share that with them. Uh, and get them to, you know, use data-driven analysis to make better choices on the ice and stuff like that. Um, That kind of spiraled into the ECHL and then the AHL. And it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I chose kind of those areas because it was like, well, no, if I went to the NHL, there are way smarter people who do way better analysis with way better models than anything I could build from the ground up at that point and try and hope to keep up in what is an insane arms race. But like you go just just below the NHL, and it's basically you know crickets. It's me and like a couple of people who do it at the team level, but nobody who looks at the whole league. So that was kind of how I ended up here. Um, and then uh, CC, my co-host on the Calder Farmstead, uh, found me uh, in you know the internet space doing you know AHL and ECHL hockey things had me on his podcast uh, at the time, which was under a different banner. And then I came to co-host and then we separated and now made the Calder Farmstead. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride to hear. <laughs> and the Farmstead
1: podcast is an entertaining one. I know you guys do a really good job of kind of breaking down, you know, weekend series uh, when you do your previews and your breakdowns uh, you'll dig into every game. Well, the games that you're going to go through, you break down pretty, uh, pretty extensively. Um and I, I got to say, on the, on the Monday show, the early in the week show, um, there's a little bit of a wrestling theme to it toward the end of that, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. <laughs> Don't yeah. think I didn't catch that.
2: Yeah, so uh, uh, we do um, basically two episodes a week, a uh, uh, Thursday night recording that goes out Friday morning. That's our weekend previews. We pick one series for each division, uh, Atlantic, North, Central, Pacific. And we dive into those. Um, I wish we could do more. But then again, we also end up watching all of these games. Yep. So there's only two of us. And we only have so many hours in the weekend. Uh, we're covering nine games this weekend. So to get eyes on all of that between the two of us is asking quite, a, is already a big enough lift. Like, yeah. I'd love to add more games. But also, I like the life that I have. My wife would probably divorce me if that were the case be <laughs> 12 or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's the the Monday episode that we record that goes up Tuesday morning is our recap. And at the end, we have uh, a segment we call cream of the crop. It's the best players from the weekend of the AHL. And CC does uh, a macho man impression that is like, I, I kind of want to do like a blind sound test because I'm pretty sure I can't tell the difference at this point. And he really gets into it and just Goes. It's it's very entertaining. It is.
1: It is. And yeah. And again, you guys, you guys do a very good job. And it's really nice because you you timestamp, you know, the series uh, that uh, that you're talking about. So if you're rain fans and they're covering rain games, you can kind of you can click on it. If you were really just only wanted to listen to that, you guys do a nice job of that. So um, really good work you guys do. What I was turned on to you guys because like you said, there was nobody that I could find that I was doing any sort of analytical any any data and and as somebody who was looking to to write about the rain and 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 talk about the rain what i started doing was uh when i was watching most of the games early in the season i haven't had the chance to do it as much recently unfortunately but i was doing shot attempts and and tracking that myself high danger attempts and trying to do a lot of that myself just for the rain games um and it was actually one of our hockey royalty uh, co-hosts for the uh, royalty pod um scott kinville that, that mentioned you and that's when i found your site and i'm a huge fan of it so i would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about now point shares um kind of what they are because and and a little bit about from the forward aspect the defensive aspect there's a goaltending aspect and kind of how you how they they uh how they can, are graded you know how the players get graded and sort of using them
2: so Uh, Point shares is basically a system that tries to estimate the number of standings points. Each individual players play is responsible for, um, for skaters, uh, they get both offensive and defensive components for a goalie. You tend the goal, you stop the puck. There's only goaltending aspects for that. So when they get assists and stuff like that, it doesn't really help them at all. And that's a pretty rare event. So the fact that we're just kind of negligibly ignoring it, not really that big a deal. Um, Point shares, though, is by no means the most predictive or mathematically rigorous uh, way to quantify hockey out there, not by a long shot. Those are your evolving wild guys, Michael Blake Mm -hmm. McCurdy, uh, those kind of people. But uh, they all have the NHL's play-by-play data. Uh, In the AHL, we don't even have time on ice. That's public, allegedly, because it's not measured accurately enough for them to produce I don't buy that, but that's another story. Um, but like I use the point shares model, uh, which I didn't create. I did not make this, um, mm-hmm. but I use it because it works with the data that's publicly available by the AHL. Uh, and it's the basis for how I like I use the, the stuff you see on like the player maps uh, basically is the raw point shares um, for the like standings projections, uh, individual game outcomes. I have added on to that to include other components like home ice advantage, okay. uh, puck luck, uh, those kinds of things. So those are a little bit more added on. And if you like wanted to calculate point shares for yourself, you can straight just put into Google uh, point shares calculation hockey, and you'll find the very first hit will tell you step by step how to walk through it. It's not terribly complicated, but in the grand scheme of things, it's taking your individual players uh, counting stats. So their goals, assists, uh, points, unfortunately, plus minus is a component of it. There was no way around that. I hate plus minus, but when, you know, you have lemons, you got to make the lemonade the way (laughs) you can. Um, But, and it it compares that to what the rest of their team is doing, as well as how that compares to the rest of the league as a whole. And it takes all of that kind of uh, those ratios and comes up with, how many, uh, how many standings points that players play is worth offensively and defensively, judged by you know um, shots for and against for their team compared to the league. Uh, it quantifies and changes plus minus a little bit, so it's not just straight plus minuses defense, thank, thankfully. Um, but it's, it, it does a good job of trying to encapsulate everything. I've also debated tweaking some things in, in it a little bit because it measures every player and every team against the entire league and i've thought about straying away from that and breaking it up into conference and division because like it's super rare for the ontario rain to you know play anybody outside the pacific division i know yeah. they played grand rapids this year but like which is rare though yeah but it's super uncommon uh <laughs> even on the eastern conference like you don't see a lot of north teams playing atlantic teams at least that often it's like 25% of their games and i was curious to see if I broke that model up from being a league wide one into basically four divisions glued together or two conferences glued together, how much that shifted things, but I didn't get around to it because I was lazy in the offseason. season. That's so based you...
0: on, so based on what you, you're telling me is, is it similar like how baseball has war? Like you're determining uh, how a player relatively affects the whole, the team as a whole uh, versus the rest of the league or somebody else on his team.
2: Yes, it war for baseball and war, and, like war like metrics and hockey are much more rigorous, <laughs> but it, it attempts to do basically the same thing. And at least as far as I can ha- have measured my in my own way, like point shares maps on reasonably OK ish to better models for hockey at the NHL level. So like if you correlate point shares to like evolving uh, hockey spar metrics or um Oh, I can't think of it. Like Michael Blake McCurdy's outputs. They're like, they're not, they're not, you know, one-to-one lying on top of each other. We're basically copying them, but like you at least see, okay, we're somewhat in the right-ish direction. And that gives me confidence that it does a good job. And, you know, I watch a lot of these games. I see a lot of these players and at an individual level, there are some, you know, third line, second line guys where I disagree with, but for the most part, it does a pretty good job of giving you a rough idea of where that player falls in the league in the grand scheme of things.
1: Do you, do you find that you, you kind of answered this before about how it's not necessarily predictive. So would you, do you think it for like a prospect and, and we'll talk about a couple of them here for Ontario, that if they grade out at least in point shares early on for like a second line winger in the AHL, do you tend to see if that, how that translate to the NHL? Have you, have you, looked into that at all or seen how that that evolves over the over the course of time and say you know what maybe that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a top six forward in the nhl it just means right now for what he is in the ahl that's what it's grading out
2: and that's yeah it's like the when i look at the game probabilities and the standings projections those because i put a bunch of other components onto it Mm -hmm. those do become predictive the model right now is picking games since uh the new year uh, at a 60, 62% clip, I want to oh, say. Okay. Like, off my head. So like, that's a lot better than most models at the NHL level. And yeah, it's a smaller sample size than some of the others have, but like, it's definitely doing its job, but individual point shares. Yeah. Like you can see this year's point shares. If you're a 20 year old player, probably aren't a great indicator of how you're going to do next year, because those are the ages in which you see big <laughs> jobs. Like okay. as you get older, you see more like, The fact that Martin Furk currently, according to point shares, is a 98th percentile forward with a top AHL grade. Like if you looked at his previous years, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that that tracks. But he also is a consistent player who's a veteran. Whereas, yeah, like last year, uh, Riley Walsh didn't uh, in Utica wasn't that great. Uh, and the model reflected that, but this year he's been a, like, it didn't predict his growth this year because gotcha. his growth isn't what it predicts. But like, I have thought about trying to see like, all right, does, is this score from a 22 year old in the AHL from the model translate in point shares to their NHL levels? I've thought about looking at that. I haven't gotten there yet because I, once the off season happens, I'm usually just exhausted. I don't blame and, you want to spend like a bunch of time, you know, eating chicken wings and with beer. <laughs> Not that that doesn't happen during the season, but like, it seems like it sneaks up on me every summer. I have like these grand plans of how much I'm going to improve everything. And I get through like two of them and it's October already. So I'd love to let's, uh, let's uh, before
0: talk... we get into this, we have a question from LTR regulate. Absolutely. He says he's always wondered why the HL doesn't publish face-off stats. So is it similar to time on ice? Is it just their excuses? We don't, need to do this? Or is it just a, uh, what have you th- found out about that? Uh,
2: from face-off stats, I imagine it's probably similar to what they say about time on ice from a league level. I haven't heard anything in particular on strictly face-off stats, but as someone who's had to track face-off stats, face-off stats at the NHL level are not terribly accurate yeah. because face-off stats are basically a win is considered who touches the puck first, which team does. It doesn't matter about possession. It doesn't matter about <clears throat> things like that. And it's basically, you know, an NHL, uh, you know, entry-level employee that's, you know, grading these chances. And even at Stash track when we tracked them, it was not just who won the face-off, but who won possession. They were two separate components to each face-off. And that changes kind of the nature of it. So I would imagine for the, the AHL, they don't want to publish it because A, it's not that accurate, and they don't have the number of people to just be willing to track it. Like, yeah. tracking plus minus and shots is easy. You need, like, two guys to do that. When you start adding things on top of plus minus and shot uh, shot shots on goal you're putting more on people who are either volunteers or entry-level employees or interns that is really asking more of them than what they kind of signed up for that means you either need more of them to track it accurately or you need to pay them more money and i'm imagining the ahl is not terribly invested in that
0: (laughs) as far as face-off stats i want kind of a secondary question to that does that does point shares have anything to do with face-off stats and how a player affects a game or anything like that uh no because especially a center
2: uh, it, it doesn't take face-off stats because it only takes what the AHL publishes publicly. So yeah. in order to put all of the stuff in, it comes from the AHL's uh, daily uh, stat report. So because there isn't face-off data in there, there is no face-off data in, in point shares. And one thing that always seems to surprise people when I say this is face-offs do not, by and large, matter in determining game outcomes. Yeah. A lot of times, too, because people are like, oh, but they scored a goal off the faceoff. And I'm like, well, that kind of works with the way we remember events. We remember the moments in which we think faceoffs exactly. are important and someone scored off a faceoff as opposed to all of the faceoffs that their team won but nothing happened or their team lost and nothing happened. Yep. Uh, faceoffs are, by and large, something that as long as your team has a plan for when it wins and when it loses and executes it well, the faceoff itself shouldn't matter.
1: No, oh, I think that's that's well said. That's a good point. So I think I'd love to dive into some of the players in the on the rain. And I think there's there's one, Randon. I think that amongst Kings fans, um, the name Alex Turcott has become a pretty. I don't know if controversial maybe is too strong of a word, but he's somebody that I think there's a little. Everybody's getting a little antsy around Alex Turcott, The fact that you know he's still in the HL, he's he's producing at a modest rate. Um, you know, and I and I heard that you had a great conversation. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and said, you know, the conversation may need to shift. Uh, and and actually, Brandon and I and I have had the same conversation where he he may not be a first line NHL player. He may not be even a top six player. Maybe we have to start thinking of him as being a top nine or a middle six type player. I mean, I think he has looked fine in the AHL, and I would say in the on the point shares metric, it seems to kind of back that up, he's been fine. He's not been great. He's certainly not been bad, but he's been a, a player that has been relatively average, which I don't think is necessarily a problem at his age, but given where he was drafted and the rest of his draft class, people are getting impatient.
2: Yeah. And uh, to bring up his point shares, 81st percentile graded as a second line forward. He is well over one standard deviation on defense, but right around average for offense. And for Turka, I, I agree. I think people see the number five overall pick tag on him and are just like, why is this not Sasha Barkov? Why is this not Leon Dreisaitl? Why are you not, you know, all-star material? Like, And that's that's understandable because that's where those players, by and large, get drafted. If you're a top 10 pick, those are the expectations of you. But I think that because even though he got drafted that high, Is that his fault per se? Like, no, his game is still his game. And I mean, I I still think very highly of him, but I don't think that his offensive abilities are going to put him in a top six role. He's, And that's not to say he doesn't have offense to him. I mean, but what separates Turcotte is his work ethic, his intensity. He's looking to be involved in the play. He's rarely on his rockers, just coasting. And that's a good thing because it also means that he doesn't, but he does so in a way that isn't him chasing the play and kind of getting out of position, but like he still needs a lot of develop on offense on the offensive side of the puck, but there is progress in that. Um, He's making, he's getting better at reading the play in the offensive zone and turning those flashes of high-end playmaking into more consistent looks. His shot release still isn't great. I question whether or not it's ever going to get there or he's going to be able to beat NHL goalies from mid range. But he's also still 20 years old. There is a lot of runway left here. But there's definitely an NHL skill set there. It's just a matter of, is it the one you thought when you saw number five pick? Or when you saw him, you know, undressing players and juniors? Like, a lot of that offense is not going to translate, I don't think. But i don't think that makes him a bust or anything like that you're still going to get a usable nhl player likely going to get there's still a lot of runway left way more prospects have gone wrong uh in those areas but like there's still a usable nhl player you're going to get from that first round draft pick and if you can get that that's way better than what you'd expect um and i think there are a lot of fan bases who are have that kind of same thoughts towards a lot of their prospects uh, recently, I went on an Islanders podcast and had to talk to them off the ledge about Simon Holmstrom, who was their first-round pick from a couple of years ago. And it's like, yeah, he's not, you know, rocketing up the charts, but we're seeing development. He's taking steps. They're not the leaps you would want to see, but he's still really young. It's okay that he's not, you know, uh, prime time ready yet.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. It's it's tough because you 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 have that conversation of. He's not. Maybe he's not going to be that top six producer, but for some people, that automatically means he's a bust just solely because of where he's drafted. So it's a difficult conversation. But I think you're right. I think I think you know we have to kind of start to look at him a little bit differently, and that's not necessarily a bad thing.
2: No, and I I always think too. It's like unless you're getting someone that is literally everyone agrees. McDavid is great. <laughs> Matthews is great. Those like as long as you get taken in the first round, your goal is to simply like, give me a usable yeah. top nine NHL player. Cause fourth line players in the NHL by and large are pretty interchangeable. Yep. Like they're I was like, <clears throat> inter- okay. Maybe interchangeable isn't the right word, but like you're not gaining or losing something because a fourth line guy leaves your organization. Like you can find someone who did what he did at that level. But like, once you get into the top nine, that's more of where you know, you're know looking for specific pieces. I think he definitely fits. He's probably more middle six in my mind. Like I could see him maybe doing some spot duty uh, in the top six if there's an injury or a particular matchup. But like the idea that he could be a third-line center that kills penalties and chips in 25 points a year, that's not terrible. There are a lot of first-round picks that don't ever even get to do that. The fact that he was fifth and taken, you know, 20 spots over a guy who could do the same thing. That's not his fault.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people really worry about it. And I, I looked it up earlier in the year that, you know, on average, a top five pick he plays, a, you know, approximately 830 games in the NHL over the last two decades is when, you know, the, the timeshare. So people are looking at him to be a perennial ten-year player because of where he was drafted And that's average, you know, that's not, that's not, that's taken in, you know, including the 1600 and the, in the hundred game. So I think a lot of people are saying, okay, well, if you're going to be playing 800 games or 800 plus games, you're going to have to be a top six guy, at least for a portion of your career, you know, before you start falling off.
2: Yeah. I, I I mean, there are lots of third line guys who have played, you know, 1500 games that have uh, never gotten a sniff of, you know, 20 minutes a night, unless the game went to double OT, like that's, that's okay. You not every player needs to be you know getting all- star votes in February. It's especially to be a valuable part of your team. Like I always think about uh, the old Sabres teams with Michael Pekka. That dude was one of the biggest reasons that team went anywhere that wasn't named Hashik. and yet like, True. nobody outside of Buffalo probably has any memory of Michael Pekka because he was a very you know def- defense first, maybe 20, 20 points a year, 30 points a year, kind of guy, and that's okay. Those players are needed. Jordan Stahl is a valuable piece at his peak. And that was what he was. And that's fine.
0: All right. We got a little commercial break here. I got a a little ad read from our friends here at DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes at DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 uh, on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and older, minimum age and location may, requirements may vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text TN Redline, that's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text 467-369. DraftKings.
1: Good stuff, Rando. hmm yeah, I'd like to head head to the blue line and there's a player, Jordan Spence, who's having just a huge season for the rain in his first year, but I actually would, I want to talk a bit more about another guy who's, who's kind of quietly having a good season. Helge Granz came over from Sweden. He's, he's a very young player. Um, how has point shares, how do they grade Helge Granz in his kind of first year here with the rain? He's getting his feet wet in North America, getting used to the ice surface over here. Um, how do they look at his uh, performance to date?
2: How okay, Granz currently in the 69th percentile with a second pair defenseman grade uh, is right around the intersection of one standard deviation uh, for both offensive and defensive points shares. So pretty balanced according to the model, um, doing a pretty decent job. He It's funny because I think of him as almost being the opposite of Jordan Spence in their kind of – the way that they – <clears throat> the way that they play the game is that Jordan Spence is someone who doesn't have a lot of raw tools, but he gets everything out of them that he can. Whereas uh, I see how he grounds as someone who has a lot of great raw tools, but is still trying to yeah. piece together how they work. Um, and we talk about this all the time on the Calder farmstead about having tools versus wielding them uh, in the late middle ages. If you were a knight, you could have the sharpest biggest sword made of the best steel on earth. But if you don't know how to swing it, all you really have is a sweet-looking fashion accessory. (laughs) Helga Granz has great raw tools, great skater, good playmaking vision, solid puck skills, an above-average shooter, but at the ripe old age of 19, he hasn't (laughs) quite figured out how to wield them in the AHL yet, a league that's faster, more physical, and on a smaller ice surface than the SHL, where he spent most of his kind of time maturing. And his experience is not unique in that aspect. And as the season's gone on, You've seen him start to put, jeez, <clears throat> you've seen him start to put on, you know, put, put some of those pieces together and develop, kind of find his game a little bit. And more importantly, find his confidence yeah. and the limited viewings I've seen from him. He'll have the puck on his stick in spots and make simple plays, safe plays in areas where I know he can do more, but he doesn't seem to have the swagger to get there yet. And that's okay. He's 19. You can count on one shop teacher's hand. How many 19 year olds have come to the AHL from Europe and looked anything better than what he has. It also wouldn't shock me if midway through next season, he starts lighting the AHL on fire. The tools are there. It's just getting him to wield them more efficiently. And some of that is probably a response to turnovers or mistakes that he's made. And, you know, getting yelled at on the bench by coaches of what were you doing there and trying to simplify his game, uh, and be less aggressive with it. And that's fair, but I'm hoping that those aggressive parts of his game aren't gone. And they're just kind of on the back burner now, as he gets up to speed, you know, processing and understanding the differences in the SHL to the AHL and the AHL to the NHL.
0: When you're talking about just for our, our uh, the, you know, common listeners, including <clears throat> me, who doesn't know a lot about port shares when you're talking about a standard deviation, what does that mean?
2: So, uh, basically, Uh, I have on uh, the graphs, if you ever see those gray dotted lines, those represent Mm -hmm. one standard deviation. Everyone's familiar with what an average is. Um, Basically, a standard deviation is inside one standard deviation fits 66% of all respondents. So if you're inside one standard deviation, you're grouped in with the majority, most of the average, most people will fall within one standard deviation of the average, so to be outside of that means, in this case, on the plus side, you want to be on the plus side uh, of the of a standard deviation. But that he is above average, or in Helge Ground's case, like right at the the uh, right at the line for being above average in both of those compared to the rest of the league, um, is probably the best way I can put that in simpler terms.
0: No, that's 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 great. I want to talk about another suite here. And, you know, he's kind of an anomaly here. We drafted him, and that's Samuel Fagimo. Drafted him to be a scorer. He has one of the most, uh, one of the best shots on the team. He likes to use it as much as he can. Um, had a great showing in the World Juniors, lighting the lamp. Uh, but, you know, according to your stats, he's probably one of the best defensive forward on the reign. What have you seen with his game, and how does that translate to a point in shares?
2: I mean, from his game, he's a player who I feel like this is one of the few where. The model evaluates him well, I think, but in a different way than I do. I still think of him as being a, a, an offensive first guy, but not quite to the extent the model does. And again, the model doesn't have eyes, doesn't watch the games. Only I get to do that. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's kind of one of those where I feel like it is judging him on the outputs that happen and not necessarily some of the scoring chances that he has. I still think he's an incredible shooter Uh, watching. We covered the uh, rain uh, heat series uh, from like two weeks ago. And the one timer uh, that he put through uh, that Jordan Spence had to him on that power play is like, yeah, he could still shoot can confirm. Like (laughs) he has an absolute explosive NHL shot. But I think one of the things that the staff has tried to do is get him to round more into being a complete player, which I have mixed feelings about. I think that's something you do when you don't have uh, an NHL skill that you can leverage the rest of your game around, which is definitely not him, but it's something that a lot of AHL coaches try and, you know, you want to be a more complete guy. So when you get to the NHL, you can play penalty kill and you can be, you know, on the ice, uh, when the goalie, the other team's pulling the goalie and stuff. I see that in some cases, but I also think too, like, if you are good at one thing, I don't need you to try and do stuff that you're going to be bad at. Like, there should be some level of well-roundedness, but like, don't do that at the expense of what you're good at. And I think maybe he's gotten away from that a little bit this season, but like, kind of like we talked about uh, with Helge Granz, the raw tools are still there. That kid can still rip pucks at an NHL level. And uh, I think having him set up on the power play off the half wall there, where it's just like, please, all you have to do is just put pucks in his general direction. The kid has a wheelhouse bigger than the London, uh, Oh my God. I just lost the name of it.
0: (sighs) Is it the London eye?
2: Yeah. The the big London uh, Ferris wheel. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. (laughs) Ruined my own joke, but yeah, he has a wheelhouse bigger than the London Ferris wheel. Like you put that anywhere in his zip code, he can rip that puck. And I still think that's his best ability. There are other parts of his game I'd like to see round out a little bit more, but they're still on the offensive side. I think occasionally he tends to get a little lost in play, but that's not horrible. It's for me, it was when uh, it's kind of like when Patrick Line went to the blue jackets under torts and they were like, he's not playing defense. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, okay, but who cares? <laughs> like, If you can score, if you can create offense at elite levels, I do not care if you can play defense. Like, Everyone trying to get McDavid and Drysaddle to play defense. I'm like, but no, go score a point right. and a half a game. And it's funny too. I also feel like I struggle to pronounce his name. I say Fogimo,
1: but it's I've changed.
2: I've I've heard every pronunciation under the sun so i try when we try and pronounce foreign names i usually try and go and find film of them like in their native country and get that play-by-play guy but that's also an experiment because i'm basically listening for a word that sounds like what i think <laughs> the name is because i obviously don't know swedish yeah, but yeah it's and especially to asking guys is always a challenge because they're just like oh yeah whatever you want to say is fine i'm like no, no, no. If your parents listen to this, I don't want them to think that I'm right. the screw up yeah. here that doesn't know how to say your name. But yeah,
1: our, uh, our
0: friend, uh, Sixton Funquist, was on the pod a couple, uh, about a month ago. And he asked me before we came on, he was like, So do you want the English pronunciation of all the, the names or the Swedish? I was like, Let's go authentic and go Swedish. And then like, I was <laughs> like, I immediately regretted that decision. <laughs> the soon, as he, started, the soon as he started, it was so fast. I was like, Yeah, sure. That
1: guy. Yeah, why not? We yeah. he'd been known as as Fagamo for for the longest time that I can recall, but it was at the start of the season, and they talked about it they actually on the, the very first broadcast. Uh, Jared Schaffer and and Josh Schaefer talked about how I think it was at a media press. I don't know if it was a press conference or he it mentioned it is now Fagimo. So he's been Samuel Fagimo uh, for the rest of the season. All right. All a. Well. Question I had on point shares, as you're talking about Fagimo, because there's another player I want to transition into, and that's Jared Anderson Dolan, who is doing a ton of damage on the power play. Does point shares break out five on five versus power play that you're aware of? Or is there a way to do that um, with the data? Because he's done a ton of his de- uh, damage on the power play. But he, is, he seems like a guy who's, who's ripe. He is ready to play in the NHL. It may be in that bottom six role, but I think he's got enough skills and enough tools in his toolbox to where if he needed to like spot up for a few shifts in the top six, he could do it. I think it's just a matter of the opportunity. Once it's there in L.A., I think he's ready to play, but he's also doing a very nice job in the power play. So I didn't know if the point shares a if it did can factor in five on five or special teams and if it's possible to do so.
2: It does not uh, separate five on uh, five on five from special teams. It could it like you could make it work, but it would be something that I would have to go in and do a buttload a lot of, of work. Programming yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like that would definitely, and it's one that I've thought of as well. One of the other ones I've thought of trying to get in and tweak is primary versus secondary. Yeah, so, yeah. But like that's um like that's actually a much bigger lift than. Uh, Anything else I could probably Separate the five on five from uh, Like shorthanded points or power Mm -hmm. Play points and I've wanted to do that uh, Or at least make them separate Components to it but that requires A little more tweaking a little more weighing Because the like the point shares Model does a very good job of encompassing Everything but it's one of those things where it's kind of like A string of Christmas lights when you pull one Little bulb out the whole thing goes (laughs) So it's like that would have to be A lot of off season Screwing around with it for me but I've thought about it and currently it doesn't, but you're right. He definitely gets a lot more value off the power play. Uh, and I mean, I think some of that too is he gets to be on a power play. That's one of that's just <laughs> this top power play unit is stupid. Good. And yes. you can tell watching them that like, there is a loose structure to it, but that TJ Tynan has absolute freedom oh. to do whatever the hell he wants. And I think that that kind of goes back to, like, do you try and make well-rounded players, or do you just be like, all right, you're really good at this, and we're going to find a way to basically turn that into a weapon that you can just bludgeon other people with? And that's like, that's letting that play. us letting TJ Tynan do what he does best, and just drawing players out of position. And then it's like, oh yeah, I'm Jared Anderson Dolan standing at the net front, right at the top of the crease, and boop, go, boop. Like, not to say that he's not, you know, positioning himself well with battles, etc., but like. There have definitely been a handful of power play goals he scored this year where I'm like, I'm terrible at hockey. I'm very not good. I could have put that one.
1: <laughs> it's amazing what Tynan's done since they brought him in in the offseason. He is an incredible player. It, yeah. he's, he's, he's fun
2: to watch. Yeah, that power play, I remember the first time when we uh, started breaking it down because we did the our team focus, we actually dovetailed together. It was that the Heat's penalty kill, which has been superb, mm-hmm. versus the Reigns power play, and it's like – I remember the first time I turned on tape for the rain power play and just kind of watched specifically that and I'm like, Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I can tell this is the number one unit in the league. Like nobody does what they do. That and it's is-
1: been that way whether it was Jersey at the top and now it's Jordan Spence who's running that they haven't missed a beat with that either.
2: I, I love Jordan Spence. Like yeah. I, I don't know if he makes the NHL, but that kid is a a very loose blueprint of what the modern defenseman is going to look like soon. Like I said, he's like the, he's like the inverse Helge Granz and that like, he doesn't have a lot of raw tools, but that kid is wicked smart. And he gets (laughs) so much out of like very mediocre skating, shooting. uh, Like he, he does a lot with very little and it's really impressive.
1: The, a big, uh, another big topic for Kings fans amongst the organization is the goaltending position. And the the kind of lack of depth in the organization between the pipes, you've got obviously Cal Peterson quicks on the back nine of his career, but there's not a whole lot coming up behind him. Matty Valalta did not have a very good season last year, but he's putting together a much better season this year. We actually talked about it on our pod yesterday, how, and I mentioned it on the, on the show that he um, he's got a, the way you it's it's kind of broken up in the quadrants he's in the hard work and good results quadrant so but he's a he's a player that that I think is developing and sometimes it can take a little bit for goaltenders so um have you noticed anything when it comes to the goaltending and the point shares if, if there's anything there that you know you see a guy that that it's taking a little bit of time but as he gets going and he's now in his mid 20s that maybe maybe there is going to be something here for Matt Volalto
2: I think there are a lot of things that play into how Matt Villalta had last season versus what this season looks like. I think one of them is I am absolutely willing to give him a mulligan for last season. The defensive environment in front of him last season, (laughs) hot, stinky garbage. Like there was there was no way there was going to be a goalie who came out of that looking, you know, looking good. There were just high danger chances left, right and center all day, every day. And like, yeah, you had an incredibly young team with a first-year coach, who a coach of which I believe a lot in. Uh, Robo is a very good coach, but yeah. like, he was young. It was a young defensive core. They made a lot of mistakes in front of him that ended up in the back of the net, and a lot of them. Just like, yeah, but what was he supposed to do there? And I think that's improved. Villalta is someone whose athleticism is the backbone of his game. He's able to explode post-to-post, make big saves, and he relies on that athleticism a lot. He knows if he makes a misread, he can recover grounds, hopefully-ish, in time. Um, I think his movement has gotten cleaned up a bunch this season too, and that's helped as he's looked to be doing too much at times last season. But again, young goaltender... In a very you know chaotic environment, doing yep. too much was probably just a natural response. And the fact that it's calmed down this year, you've definitely seen more consistency from him. He's also gotten better at puck tracking. Again, compared to last season where he wasn't that good at it and struggled with doing it well consistently, you've yes. seen him do a better job of that this year. But it was also a problem going back in his career. But I think it's getting better. But like most goalies with uh, a high level of athleticism that rely on it a little bit, when he's on that kid is lights out uh game one of that series against stockton he stole that game for the Rams, yeah. hands down they left him out to dry a couple times and he came up big for them but goaltending is a very inexact science um as if anyone who's followed the career of cal peterson has seen uh yeah sometimes the ways that we get here are not always a straight line with goaltenders jordan Binnington, uh, toronto yeah. guy jack Campbell.
1: Um, I was just gonna say jack jack campbell if that's who jack you're campbell. thinking
2: of yeah yeah jack campbell's certainly not had the career trajectory that looks anything close to a straight line that's more of an olympics ring kind of uh uh <laughs> structure <laughs> but like and that's goaltending uh one of the things that we say all the time is and many other people say this as well is that goaltending is voodoo it's short-term very unpredictable long-term very unpredictable yeah. it's like In the NHL, you have three, maybe four guys that you can be like, those are the best goaltenders in hockey right now and count on them next season to still be the best goaltenders in hockey. And then everyone else, it's just pulling names out of a hat. Like, yeah, we know Shesterkin's probably going to be one of the best goaltenders in the league next year. So is Vasilevsky. Probably UC Saros as well. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? (laughs) Remember group hour and Markstrom Markstrom's
1: had a huge year this year, but he didn't have that. He didn't have that year last year. So it's, it's become tough to count on certain guys consistently year in year out.
2: And the margin of error for goaltending is insanely tiny as you climb up the uh, the ladders. Like it's, we're talking about a difference in, you know, 0.1 save percentage here. So like a 10th of a point, that's basically a save that a goalie makes on a diving sprawl, just praying that it hits them versus it goes in. Like that's the level of difference between goaltending. And there's a like, you can train those reflexes to be sharp enough in some aspects, but those like, those are greatly affected by stress, sleep, diet, all of those things. Like it's the, like I said, when the margin of error is that tiny, there's going to be a lot of just good fortune involved. And that's why right. goaltending is so hard to predict. And goaltenders genuinely take a longer trajectory. So the fact that Velalt is still incredibly young, even for you know, a regular forward prospect, like I I wouldn't throw him under the bus yet. I think he's done better this year. He's taken steps forward, and that's what you want to see. But like Cal Peterson can carry the the load for a little while. Yep. I think Jonathan Quick is been very like everyone remembers those Stanley cup runs and not the seasons that went with them where he was just kind of okay-ish and that's done very well for his career. But like, I, I think that you don't need to have a goaltender, you know, waiting in the wings right now. Like I think Vilalta's timeline still maps on very well to where, you know, in three years, could he be challenging uh, someone for the starting job in the Kings? That sounds believable to me, but like next year, new no. New yeah, new, new,
1: new. yeah, I would agree. And it's funny you said that, too, about his athleticism. We had him on the show early in the season, and he talked about just that, how he, he admitted that he relies a lot on his athleticism. And he was working on, as you said and, and have, have alluded to, that he's working on his tracking of the puck and his movements, too. And, and it has gotten better. And I think he's had a pretty good season.
2: And it's one of those things, too, where it's like those are tiny little moments, tiny moments in which you're trying to get, you know, a quarter of a second better. You're trying to move, you know. Uh, six inches more smoothly or more efficiently, like you're going to not make giant leaps in those aspects and goalies who have done the same thing, who are super athletic that have tried to improve movement and that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a, a baby step process. Unlike skaters where you just see, you know, year one to year two, giant steps forward. Yeah. It's, it's not the, it's <laughs> goalies are weird. I think we all kind of knew that. <laughs> that is weird too. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a longer and uh, less straight timeline.
0: Yeah, speaking of non-straight timeline for this player, is, is the guy that's in a lot of people's uh, mouths right now is either being the next guy to be brought up or the, the head trade piece for Jacob Trickren, uh which is Gabriel Velardi, um, sent down earlier in the year. You know, we wanted to see improvement. A lot of people say he can't drive play as a center and all this kind of stuff like that, but he's been lighting it up for a point per game or over a point per game uh, in the AHL. What, is, uh, what does point share say about him, and, and what have you seen, considering you watch every single game the AHL has to offer?
2: <laughs> I mean, that's overstating how many AHL games <laughs> uh, I watch. But yeah, I, <laughs> the Pacific Division, because there are so many more teams now, we get around to all of them a little less often, and the schedule has not been the most friendly with when the rain play. So like, I think we've only checked in with him two or three times this season, but I have... Uh, I did take big notes on Velarde. Let me find him here on the map. 94th percentile first-line forward grade. Uh, average on defense, well above average on offense. Not that surprising. Um, I, I have a lot of credit to give to Gabe Velarde for getting sent down to the rain after playing basically a full season for the Kings in 2021 and not pouting about it. Very easily could have been bitter and just gone through the motions in Ontario. He could have showed up, worked hard, then not gotten called up and pouted and quit. And he did none of those things. Uh, that's at least a credit to the character and the work ethic that he does have. And he's been a monster all season for the rain, but I feel like he does so in ways that are more subtle uh, and don't lend themselves to highlight reels. And that's what people are looking for when they catch clips of him scoring goals in the rain. They want to see him do coast-to-coast things, undress a defenseman, and you know, uh, put a one-handed deke in. That's what they're looking for, and that's not his game. Uh, he's big and powerful, and he's another one in the Kings system that has outstanding hockey IQ, reads the play accurately, reads the play quickly. He's great at doing small things like finding soft ice in high danger areas, banging home yes. rebounds. He's very much, with or without the puck, an inside player, and that's becoming another big barrier between AHL and NHL players. It's It used to basically just be you're you have all the NHL skills except skating, so you can't play in the NHL. One of them now is becoming you need to be able to get to play inside. And I think that's something where he may not be able to drive play at the NHL level to the inside, but he can still very much be a complementary inside player, and that's not nothing. I will say his skating is still an issue. It looks like it's getting better, but not at a pace that endears itself to those leaps forward you want to see from a prospect at his age. But again, skating isn't everything. There are lots of guys in the NHL who are – Super, you know, valuable. Mark Stone sucks at skating. Leon is not that great. Ryan O'Reilly, very bad skater. All of them are, you know, first uh first team all-stars, and they aren't great skaters. That's not to say that he needs speed to you know be an effective player. He's an effective player now without it, but it doesn't look in the same way that a lot of other pieces that have the impacts that he do. His game doesn't look like theirs. And I think that's why people discount it.
1: And you hit the nail on the head that he, he isn't a guy that has shown that he can drive the play and lead a line. That's where he really struggled at the NHL level as a center and that's part of the reason they sent him down to Ontario. He's playing the wing now, and that's his, his, he's a to- he looks like a totally different player. He looks more comfortable, and, and I couldn't agree more with how he is in the offensive zone. He does a great job finding those quiet areas. Um, he, he really does a nice job in the offensive zone, and I think that's that's going to be huge for him, and I, I still hope that he's not somebody that gets traded because I think he is a, an, a very effective winger who can be a really uh, productive winger uh, for the Kings in a top six role.
2: I would say I could see him more as a middle six guy, like a second or like a really good third liner. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if he his he hits a ceiling that's a first line winger on a regular basis. Like it's not outside the cards, but I think in terms of like projecting outcomes, I see him as more good second liner, like that fourth skater on a PP1 unit playing net front or like uh, a top PP2 unit kind of guy. I think he fits more into that kind of spot. I think he's a better winger than a center. And again, yeah. like, yeah, he doesn't drive play at center at the NHL. And I'm like, well, yeah, there are lots of guys who don't do that. It's not <laughs> the, end of the world. Like, not every single player on your roster has to be this, you know, driving pl- uh, play, driving uh, inside a puck carrier. Like, you do need guys that do other things to complement those pieces. That's okay. But like, I-, I do agree. I think he's his move to the wing has definitely been a big, uh, a big. Step for him, and lots of guys move from center to wing, and it's you know changed the outlook of their careers. Claude Giroux, one of them, but like everyone, I feel like too everyone sees like all of the high picks the Kings have had, and all of the like praise that keeps gets heaped on them. They see you know the prospect pool rankings, and they're like Kings one, Kings one, Kings mm-hmm. two, Kings three, and it's like, but man, none of these guys are Connor McDavid already. What's yep pro. I remember someone described to me uh, a scout described to me one time he goes trying to figure out trying to go into these OHL games and, and see who the future stars are is like going into high school biology and figuring out who doctors are it's not uh it's not as easy as it looks uh and yeah there are mistakes that get made along the way but like not all of them have to turn out to be doctors in order for you to have made a good evaluation like Gabe Velarde becomes a useful third line winger. That's still good value for where he was drafted. Uh, kind of like if, you know, if Turcott becomes a Jordan stall, that's great value mm-hmm. for a first liner. Maybe not for fifth overall is what you were hoping for, but your only goal in, in draft drafting guys in the first round is give me an NHL player. Like that's it. If you can just get an NHL player, you have found something. But like when you draft nail Yakupov or, probably josh hosang uh yeah that that's when you're like okay we 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 screwed up here
1: well listen i i i mean you you've done a heck of a job we really appreciate you we've taken enough of your time i think um but you do great work again over at the calder farms ted uh, your your work on the tableau is fantastic with point shares. Uh, so we were really excited to get you on. I know I've been a fan of your work. I'm, I'm probably on your site poking around every single day, looking at different things and looking at different, whether it's the standings projections and the PDO and exp- and all that stuff. And and so I, I as somebody who, uh, you know, talks about and writes about uh, an AHL team, your work is very appreciated for uh, uh, to be able to find some of that stuff. So we can't thank you enough for being on today.
2: Absolutely, guys. Uh, I mean, it's it's always a joy to talk uh, hockey. It's one of the reasons we started the Calder Farmstead in the beginning is that I I don't have a lot of people who I feel like I can talk hockey with at this level, and it's given me kind of an outlet for that. Uh, but yeah, we 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 do a lot of uh, work for the Calder Farmstead. It is a labor of love. Like I said,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all the games that we preview, we watch all of them. <clears throat> so eight games a week, we're watching uh, across. I am not you. Did that. <laughs> 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 it's it, it is a, an incredibly labor intensive product uh but we we make it work and we have a lot of fun with it uh one of the things we like to say is that we do serious analysis but are ourselves not serious people
1: yeah and that comes through you guys do a it's an entertaining show and you guys do a great job with it no All question
2: right. about it thank well, you guys so much for having me on uh anytime you'd like to have me come back and talk i'm happy to do it as long as it fits into the schedule uh but I had a great time. I, I love your guys, uh, your guys work and your guys show too. Uh, I Thank listened you. to a couple episodes Thanks. before I came on, really enjoyed them.
1: Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate
2: it.
0: it. Yep. All you, all you listeners out there, this is again, this is making it rain. You guys can find all our articles at hockey royalty.com. Uh, Twitter is at hockey underscore royalty. All Sean's Twitter and info for the podcast. His personal Twitters are all in the description. So please like, and subscribe there. Listen to his podcast. Like, and subscribe on YouTube. Just like, and subscribe in general. <laughs> um, because all of us hockey people love that kind of stuff. So thank you very much again, Sean, for coming on. And as always, Go Kings Go!